The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The history of Star Wars is the history of cinema. For everything you like about Star Wars, there is at least one film that inspired it. And we're going to review them all on Episode Zero. And welcome back to episode zero. We're back. Woohoo! Sorry about that. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a critic too. And people call me Talon Gendro. Those were the those were the things that we decided. No. What, what, what were the rules? This is the Star, no, this is a Star this Wars podcast where we don't talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and I was trying to come up with a Star Wars name. And I remember there's some sort of meme going yeah. around where how to decide your Star Wars name. I'm sure our listeners all know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, like, it it's like take the first your first name and turn it into Yoda and turn your second <laughs> name and turn it into Smith. Yeah. Yoda Smith. O- Ocean Bucker, whatever you call it. Uh, in any case, yeah. So episode zero, for those who maybe have joined us since the last episode, it's been a while. Uh, This is a podcast that we've dedicated to the films that inspired Star Wars. We realized that most of the uh, Star Wars podcasts out there were actually about Star Wars and the stuff that's in Star Wars and all the stuff that we think about what's going to happen next in Star Wars. And that is really not where where our interests lie. (laughs) We've talked about Star Wars a lot over the years, so we wanted to use Star Wars as a lens to look back into history And look at all of the various things that inspired Star Wars, because Star Wars is very much a pastiche of all that came before. And over the course of this podcast, we have talked about samurai films. We've talked about um, uh, what, what we talked about uh, what, western sci-fi serials, yeah. uh, you know, war war pictures from the nineteen forties, experimental short films, uh, just everything that sort of was in that big cauldron that melted together and made Star Wars. However. On this, the second to last episode of Star Wars Episode Zero, the podcast will continue. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the cauldron itself, as it were. Yeah, exactly. So, like, don't worry. We have one more episode of Star Wars Episode Zero, and then it will become a new Episode Zero podcast, in which you look at the films that inspired another pop culture phenomenon. We'll announce that later. Uh, But, yeah, we wanted to talk about the actual cauldron. And when we talk about the cauldron which is a metaphor we're going to drop immediately cuz someone else put it better uh what we're talking about is the grand tradition of mythic legendary storytelling over the course of human history we have been telling stories about heroes and villains and epic journeys journeys yeah quests to acquire things the yeah. transcendence of the human mind and spirit laser swords okay that part's new But there are a lot of overlap between the kind of stories that we tell, and there are multiple ways of looking at that grand tradition. There is the way in which a lot of uh, sort of film students look at it, in which we look at it as a series of narrative tropes. We look at it as a sort of a storytelling tradition. But then there is a grander and more uh, almost religious perspective on the power of myth. And in the book, The Power of Myth, and the miniseries, The Power of Myth, the guy who understand or understood better than anyone else, The Power of Myth, discussed The Power of Myth. It's the groundbreaking Bill Moyer series the critics call provocative and inspirational. How do I slay that dragon in me? I say follow your bliss and don't be afraid. How myths connect us to our past. Heaven and hell are within us and all the gods are within us. And to our future. You can't predict what a myth is going to be any more than you can predict what you're going to dream. Joseph Campbell and the power of myth. 
with Bill Moyers. The Power of Myth. Uh, written by Joseph Campbell. Now, well, it was it was actually transcribed from interviews with with Bill Moyers. Yeah. Uh, Bill Moyers and Joseph Campbell got together and had a lot of conversations about Joseph Campbell's theories about myth and about storytelling structure and about the way human societies build themselves around myths. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, the way Star Wars, I think, got a a lot of more intellectual credibility thanks to joseph campbell i think i think we Uh, actually like it was celebrated it won mm. academy awards people liked it a lot but i don't think it was taken nearly as seriously until it got the literal stamp of approval from joseph campbell who who george lucas who was very much directly inspired by joseph campbell this is not like an overlap or a coincidence he very specifically modeled his films after joseph campbell's writings and Mm. teachings uh he invited Joseph Campbell to Skywalker Ranch to watch the Star Wars movies and get his seal of approval, which was then given. <laughs> and in the book slash miniseries, The Power of Myth, Joseph Campbell goes on at quite some length, more so than referring to any other modern narrative fiction anything at all, really. He spends more time giving credit to Star Wars as the modern apotheosis of myth mm. which on one hand made star wars look pretty cool it made everyone feel really good about loving star wars and put star wars in part of a grander tradition and on the other hand maybe put star wars on a little too much of a pedestal if you ask yeah. me i think this kind of bit us in the butt eventually it, it brought star wars into the classroom it made it mm. an object of study rather than just a pop culture curio and to to reiterate that point it kind of put Star Wars into this higher intellectual plane mm. where it became vaunted even like as almost equal with the works of Joseph Campbell. Well, uh, now, Joseph Campbell's works are mm. about art and literature. It, it, yeah, but, maybe, um, but, but I think they I put think, it equal uh, yeah. to, the, to the works of, say, Greek mythology exactly. and the, and it, the it, stories and what of it, Hercules and, and what Jesus it, Christ. What it did is took a lot of ideas of myth and religion mm. and conflated them with popular culture. Yeah. So a lot of I've I've heard it said a lot that comic books are the modern Greek myths. No, they don't operate the same way at all. No. There are a lot of uh, superficial similarities, yes, but n- they don't operate in our society in the same way. No, but they have captured the consciousness, and in mm. particularly in the power of myth. And Joseph Campbell had been writing. Writing about these topics for decades, mm. his uh, his book uh, was published in 1949. The Hero with a Thousand Faces is still very influential to writers today. Um, but in the Power of Myth, the most kind of significant through line, because they it's, this is a if you watch the miniseries, it's six hours long. Mm. And if you read the book, uh, Moyers talks about how they cut hours of material out of that. <laughs> so there's a ton here, and they cover far ranging. Uh, uh, field of topics but the the through line the 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 center of it all is the idea that in the modern age we live in a very uh secular age we live in an age in which religion though it is still a very important part of a lot of people's lives no longer has for many that sort of lofty uh sort Mm. of uh um elevated quality where it is this absolute uh uh What's the word I'm looking for here? I feel like there's a... It's it's no longer the defining principle of modern society the way yeah. it once was. And uh, as a result, there's... a lot of people are still like sort of built in within us looking for things like deeper meaning, a greater yeah, connection to the world around us, or to whatever we might consider the divine. Yeah, and Joseph Campbell made a point that we have all of these myths mm-hmm. and legendary stories that all exist in order to connect us with that divine, to connect us to each other, connect mm. us to the human experience. And nowadays we can find that not just in myth, but in other places as well. And mm. in particular, and almost to the exclusion of literally everything else, Star Wars. <laughs> Pretty much. What um, else does he name? He names like, Thomas Mann and James Joyce, a bunch of white dudes. Like that's all he's got really. <laughs> Only well, white just, dudes have done anything interesting lately, according to Joseph Campbell, which frankly was annoying to listen to. Yeah. Like he doesn't cite, you know, Gilgamesh or uh, other cultures at all. Uh, well, well to, no, no, to, okay. he, he does. He does. But um, modern, I'm talking about uh, in modern, modern times. Yeah. And throughout the, he is very familiar mm. with the history of now, myths, legends, and religions from all throughout the world. But mm. he is looking at it through his own lens. Mm. And of late, the only significant examples in modern 
popular culture and literature and fiction, I noticed mm. the only things he cited were things done by white dudes. Uh, there's uh, Star Wars and also The Wizard of Oz is often mixed in with that same conversation. But it's not mentioned here, which is interesting, because I, I, I feel like a little it has a lot of the iconography mm. that he is discussing here, no, this almost idea more of... perfectly than Star Wars in a lot of ways. Indeed, if, if you read the Epic of Gilgamesh and you read The Wizard of Oz, the whole idea of the journey being the point yeah. and the friendships you make being the point of the story, mm. not where you go and what you get and coming back with it, yeah. then... Uh, those that the Gilgamesh and the Wizard of Oz fall right in line with one another. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Joseph Campbell was very concerned with, uh, he doesn't use the term, but this is a, a popular critical term, the God-shaped hole. Mm. That in uh, you know, post-Nietzsche, God is dead, w- but we still have this propensity in ourselves to worship. Yeah. And there's there's a hole inside of us in the shape of God. We got yeah. we removed God, but there's nothing in there. So now we're still, to this day, trying to find something to fill it. Mm. And Joseph Campbell said, no, no, there's never been a hole. It's always been full. It's just what we fill it with yeah, has he, always been different. He argues that God is not the thing that created us. Mm. We are existence, our mm. nature, the human experience is what creates God. But uh, at the same time, I, I heard an interview with Joseph Campbell from a before Star Wars, actually. Uh, first of all, he admitted that he is pretty much just openly plagiarizing Carl Jung. Uh, all, all, all of his writing is Jung, just yeah. sort of reinterpreted and reworded yeah. in a way. But, Jung, uh, yeah, to to uh, clarify, Jung noticed that throughout all of world culture, there are specific, and he called them archetypes, which is mm-hmm. a term that we still use, um, of uh, various particular figures that show up in a lot of fiction. And a, uh, a lot of the cult- common imagination. Yeah, through, and throughout cultures that haven't even interacted with one another, so they couldn't yeah. have influenced one another. Yeah, so, just, just for whatever human, reason, yeah. the human mind tends to gravitate towards mm. certain character types. And, like and, the yeah. sage, someone who is wise and mm. bestows wisdom. Or, or a, the hero, you know, yeah. the, the, the person of action who yeah. completes a task. These are And these are very yeah. basic and primal, and to the extent that one might wonder... Why is this even worth noting? And the reason why is because think of how long it took before someone did. <laughs> like it was a really long time before it became popular, mm. common an understanding that there was this connective tissue between the common imagination, mm. whether in art or religion, or if you see no difference uh, all over the world. Mm. And this is something that has become more of a part of a conversation thanks to young. And then more mm. recently, thanks to Campbell. Uh, Campbell also argued that, uh, there was this misconception about the way uh, societies build themselves. And uh, if you're ever brave enough to read Hegel, first of all, I don't recommend it, but uh, a, a lot of, he, he's the one who I've came never up read with Hegel. I've only ever read people saying, don't read Hegel. Don't read Hegel. Like, it's just like read Hegel four times, then study about Hegel, then go back and read him a fifth or sixth time. And then maybe you'll start to understand some of the ideas in Hegel. Uh, but I know one of the, the precepts of Hegelianism was, uh, the sort of the structure of society, how societies are built and this notion that sometimes they are artificial societies, things where people decide to get together and build a society in a certain way. And that would be like a constitution. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, a lot of societies just sort of grow organically. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't really decide how a society is going to grow. And I think that a lot of Joseph Campbell's ideas come from that, this sort of uh, misconception that people choose to construct a society in a certain way when really it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to myth, the misconception was people get together, they find what they have in common, and then they start to create a myth based on their social structure. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Campbell argued that the myth was there first and we started building a society based on the common understanding that we already possessed, whether or not we had met. And this is an actually interesting segue because I think the way that George Lucas used this very specifically as a blueprint for Star Wars, he had been writing Star Wars Mm -hmm. and then he became more familiar with the works of Joseph Campbell and decided to do a massive rewrite that followed the hero's journey as uh, specified and categorized by Joseph Campbell. Mm -hmm. And I, in this particular regard, I actually equate Hero with a Thousand Faces to the screenwriting book Save the Cat. Because I they're, think both... They're kind of one and the same. The, in, yeah. in, many, in many similarities, but like the main idea is this. Both tomes are explicitly putting into words repeat narrative structures, concepts, tropes, hmm. character types who are innately a part of almost any creative process and and uh, uh and work of art yeah no uh, and, uh, hold on just oh, yeah. let me just finish my sorry, thought sorry. um 
And what in writing that book, in those books, uh, both uh, Joseph Campbell and Blake Snyder were simply putting into words things that people were doing anyway without even realizing it. Mm. And then once they had put it into words, people, instead of just doing their own thing and thinking, oh, what an interesting way of looking at this, mm. started using it as a direct blueprint. So rather yeah, than just yeah. tell his story and allow whatever overlaps occurred with Joseph Campbell, George Lucas almost, there's almost a cynicism to it. To the way that he was just, I'm going to tell the ultimate myth, and in order to do that, I am going to take the structure of the ultimate myth that I read in a book once. Uh. And, like, there's something about that that ends up making Star Wars feel very clean, very, uh, uh, what's the word? Maybe oversimplified. Uh, Arguably oversimplified, but uh, very archetypal, to use the word again. Um, And as a result, it's it's a movie that I think connected to a lot of people. And Italian Man, if it wasn't done so brilliantly on every level if it didn't have the right cast didn't have the right visual right. effects if it wasn't such a pioneer in audio if it didn't all come together it might have seemed too bare bones to be effective mm. but there's so much personality in it that it ended up feeling really natural even though it was clearly specifically yeah, was, constructed i was going to say that uh what Star Wars did was cheapen Joseph Campbell in a way oh uh, that's a little harsh well let, okay. let, let, let me say why let me tell you why i said that um the uh, the idea that now we, we didn't just sort of look at all the whole of movies and start to say, oh, yeah, there's all of these common tropes throughout that Joseph Campbell had noticed were recurring throughout human history. Mm-hmm. And now these things are sort of filtering down into our popular culture. And isn't yeah. that interesting? Like you said, people started treating it like it was a template. Yeah. And as such, it started to popularize that template. People were using it as a blueprint. And all of a sudden, when it. Joseph Campbell became specifically relegated to the way we make a very specific type of pop genre entertainment mm-hmm. rather than the whole of human society. Yeah. It almost gave a, a, an intellectual collegiate stamp of approval yeah. on any kind of silly genre entertainment, no matter how bad. Well, some of them are it quite almost good. Became I've an heard, excuse I've, after a while. I've heard Joseph Campbell mm. applied to things like The Matrix, and indeed, The Matrix is actually another pretty good mm. uh, uh, sort of framework. Well, by just, which to Joseph Campbell didn't do that; he was dead by the time. No, the no I'm saying, came but like the, yeah. that that um, I, it's since then. Okay. Uh, one of the other more common works of pop literature, film, mm. whatever that gets that Joseph Campbell stamp. Everyone's like, "Oh, Joseph Campbell's all over that." Yeah. Is the Matrix? Matrix is another good movie, but um, <clears throat> where was I? Where was I? Where was I going with this? Joseph Campbell's name. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea that Joseph Campbell is now sort of limited to his influence on Star Wars and the conversation is really frustrating because if you watch The Power of Myth or if you read The Power of Myth, however you choose to consume this particular tome, and we're we're focusing on this, we're mentioning a few of his other works, but mm-hmm. focusing on Power of Myth, um, he isn't limited to Star Wars. Like the Star Wars comes up. A lot, but mostly right at the beginning. Mm. And then afterwards, he is attempting, with varied success, I feel, and I feel as though he is limited by a certain uh, his own personal perspective. Um, Although that, that's for sure. That's very <laughs> true, and I want to talk about a few of the examples of that in a minute. But uh, uh, he is trying to talk about grander ideas than just the hero's journey. He is yeah, trying to talk yeah. about... Uh, human connection with nature, uh, human connection with oneself, and a sense of um, um, what nirvana can be mm. to an individual in the modern era. We he he speaks quite like I actually kind of like a lot of the things that he says about marriage, about how marriage becomes like a new state of being. It is a partnership. It is mm. not about you as an individual. It is about you as a duo. And how that is transformative. That's not in Star Wars. There's none of that in Star Wars. No, Star Wars, people get married, have a whole life together, and then get divorced off camera. Like, we uh, see, like, we see, like, there's, three there's, scenes of Anakin and Padme married and they're marriage. miserable together. Yeah, there's one marriage in all of Star Wars. Yeah, if well, I, well I, think, I think Han and Leia got married, but then they have, like, one scene together in The Force Awakens. Do they get married? Or they, I think the implication is that I know that they had they kids together. I thought, I thought the implication was that they got married. Okay. I don't know. I, I might be remembering, like, the um, extended universe from the books. Okay. I don't know if they actually did get married in official canon. But, um, but yeah, so he's he's got these far-reaching ideas that... And the people have celebrated the power of myth individually of Star Wars, talking about how 
yeah, listen, I'm very secular, but the way that he approached storytelling and approached religion as a storytelling medium and under, may help me understand that if you don't look at religion literally, mm. there's still a lot of symbology and allegory that can be very, very useful in terms of how we live our lives and how we uh, choose to, as Campbell puts it, follow our bliss. That's something he's very fond of mm. repeating over and over again. Because if religion is nothing more than a series of stories, what is the guiding principle? And he says, follow our bliss, you know? Well, but, and, and again, uh, he, he wasn't, um, he, was, he was one of those uh, fellows who used the phrase, you know, he's not religious, but he is spiritual. He believed yeah. in sort of the, the spiritual power of myth. Because if you and don't believe was, in the spiritual power of myth, how can you possibly study it? That's what it yeah, exists mm. to explore. Well, I, I suppose you could just sort of look at it with intellectual curiosity, but yeah, but I he, feel like that's, believes... I feel like that's studying horror movies mm. and like writing down like how many murders are in it mm. without actually like allowing them to access mm. your ability to feel anxiety or fear. There, it, and, if you and I suppose there's something you need to be open to that. There's still some. I would say there's some value to that. I'm not saying know, there's not, no value to it, but I think, to, uh, I'm not sure that would be the best yeah. life pursuit. Yeah, but he, yeah. <laughs> if, if if you weren't actually feeling it, yeah, he he believed that the myths were real. That, that yeah. myths are the things that make us and how these sort of shared ideas that have permeated throughout human culture are kind of that binding principle. It, was, it wasn't one God because he studied so many gods, yeah. but God is mixed in with all of that. Yeah. And all of and these things are trying to interpret the same you, idea of yeah. a higher being or a higher power or a higher consciousness. If, if it's, even still possible. I mean, Star Wars has been consumed and combed over and reconsumed and repackaged mm -hmm. and resold, and now it's on cereal boxes. Right. So I'm not sure if how possible it even still is to go back and watch the first Star Wars movie from mm -hmm. 1977 and just appreciate how mythic it feels, how large and how groundbreaking it was. It, it really without without connecting it to any of the sequels, mm -hmm. any of its uh, pop culture influences that came afterwards. Just yeah. keep, take it as a standalone single feature film. Yeah. And, and understand that it is leaking into a lot of these bigger mythic things. This is a bit of an aside, and I want to obviously stay on point, mm. but to your point that it's hard to like see the original Star Wars like by itself. Mm. I feel like when we say things like that, it's so hard to like go back and just watch the original Star Wars in a vacuum. Mm. We're looking at it from the perspective of people who grew up with Star Wars. And well, are because so we're, we're in the year 2020, no, no, that's no, what I'm talking about. No, actually, get, let, hear me out. All right. We are part of a culture or a subculture or a popular culture in which Star Wars is revered, thanks in part mm. to Joseph Campbell. And it is part of this sort of literary canon that you're expected to see. However, if you step outside of that realm, mm. as I have lately, and I've been actually like exploring different areas of fandom that have nothing to do with film. I've been watching, as mentioned on other podcasts, uh, I've been getting interested in the world of... Uh, people who play the Sims from an artistic perspective as sort of a, <laughs> okay. a sort of like a sandbox and a place mm. where all creativity can coexist. And um, they recently did an expansion pack for the Sims four mm. that was star Wars themed. The Sims community hated it like almost <laughs> to a one. Like when they did the big star Wars, you know, how anything star Wars comes out on YouTube and it has like 2 million views within an hour. Mm. This was like, it had a lot of views, but the vast majority of the likes and dislikes were dislikes. Like hundreds of thousands of dislikes, outnumbering the likes. <laughs> because that Star Wars is a very rigid construct now. It is exactly what Star Wars it's is, exactly, and, as a, yeah. and that doesn't appeal to everybody. There's a lot of people it does appeal to and a lot of people who love it and I'm not negating them. But what I'm saying is that there are other people and there are other communities. And when I was watching some interesting like people who played The Sims like on YouTube mm. as an art form, which is fascinating, uh, several of them said, I actually haven't seen Star Wars. There are people out there who get okay. to be adulthood who don't see Star Wars just because it doesn't really interest them. And eventually they might and they might be able to have these reactions. So... What I think is interesting is that as time goes on, Star Wars, and it's important to remember this, is old now. <laughs> Star Wars is older now than Flash Gordon was when Star Wars came out, or at least about as old. Hmm. It's not a new thing. It's alive. It's currently existing. It's not like this untouchable part of the myth. And this is something I think is really important when you look at the way that Joseph Campbell talks about Star Wars in The Power of Myth specifically. He's talking about, and this is recorded in the late 80s, he's talking about the Star Wars trilogy, the three films that are considered the big Star Wars trilogy, mm -hmm. A New Hope, Empire, Jedi. It was over. 
The story had been yeah. told. That was it. There weren't even like a lot of new books or anything yet. Like there were some Ewoks stuff and the droids cartoon, but that was considered its own little side thing. The Star Wars trilogy was a complete narrative from beginning to end, and there was at the time no plan to continue it. What I think is interesting is that Joseph Campbell's canonization of Star Wars as a modern religious text, I don't I don't think it applies when Star Wars is currently alive. I don't think it doesn't apply. I don't think it applies when Star Wars it's is not, being, no longer history. It's yeah, just contemporary. Yeah, when Star Wars is making the prequels, it no longer becomes myth. It becomes contemporary and new. When they're trying to Disneyfy them and do their own thing to mixed success, some great films, some bad films. It's not myth right now. This is incredibly contemporary. Well, this is not in the past, like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's very, very nice. They're making it right now. And we're hyper aware of this and our understanding of these characters mm. and who they were is evolving. When he talks about in, in Power of Myth, like Han Solo's character and how he's an egoist who doesn't realize he's a good person. And then we see the movie Solo and you realize that it's actually not entirely a, an accurate representation of his character anymore. It changes. Yeah. Yeah. I... This is something that actually really bothered me about the the sort of resurrection of Star Wars. I, I like to think of it more as a, a complete thing, yeah. as something that has sealed off, yeah. that we can kind of examine been told. from an intellectual standpoint. I feel like, uh, and, and this phrase is used all the time, how pop culture is eating its own tail, how mm. we're, we're just sort of remaking the same ideas over and over again. We're revisiting same uh, the, the same f- franchises and the same uh, business models and the same kinds of stories over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And... As such, we're no longer in a position where we feel like we can confidently add to the myth. All we're doing is writing criticism. Mm. These new uh, Disney Star Wars movies are only interpretations of the previous text, right? Yeah, they're not. They're not expanding. They're not continuing. Well, they, they're not... They, are, they are, but they're also. But they're always self-reflexive. They're exactly. never just telling a new story. Right. It's always like, oh, and then the emperor did this, and you didn't know. Or you know, it's like here. Here's a re- here's new characters, but they're going to do a really similar sort of thing, and then they start getting into this. Oh well, I guess it's just cyclical. This sort right. of hero's journey repeats itself. When it's the like, mm. when the Greeks told a story oh. about Heracles or mm. Hercules is the Roman version, but like, um. The the other myths weren't just sequels to Hercules. There were a couple of common characters like Zeus and Hera kept showing up, but like <laughs> they were telling other stories and it wasn't all about like, listen, people people really love the stable bit from Hercules. I don't know either. It's the one about horse poop. So anyway, so like every single Rogue myth one, from now on. Stables. <laughs> yeah, every single myth from now on is gonna be about the horse poop thing, and we're gonna actually get it. We're gonna do a whole movie from the perspective of the horse. Mm. And, what, and what, what was the what was the food before it was poop? I'd like to know that. It's yeah, like, like and I'm not saying that that isn't maybe interesting. Like I'd sure love to see that. That's funny. But <laughs> like again, it's sort of it's thing like, where it's like we're we're it's like we're, the Turin horse, but for Hercules. We're not just interpreting the myth; we are constantly changing it, and that is itself. And it's interesting that Joseph Campbell doesn't really talk about this in the Power of Myth. Is part of the tradition. These traditions mm-hmm. of myth. He talks about them like they are set in stone because many of them are of the past or of cultures that are no longer mm-hmm. with us. Can't, but they're, can't, and you can't change history. Yeah. But they are often part of an oral tradition and they do shift over time and they are rewritten over time and they're reinterpreted over time. And the version that we know now of anything, really, mm. anything that comes up, regardless of whether it's you know from Japan or India or the Native America or any, uh, probably the version that we know isn't the first version that was written. Oh, definitely not. Just like now, like if if all of civilization ended now, people wouldn't know Star Wars as those three movies and then there were sequels. Hmm. If they dug up a big Star Wars box set, they would see the whole shebang. Hmm. And they wouldn't have this rarefied view of the the original trilogy as this big lofty thing. They would see it as all of it is of equal significance hmm. because it's all in there and it has all been changed and every single person who touched it uh, adjusted it, edited it, changed it, added CGI, whatever. All of that is part of it now. So I feel like Joseph Campbell's perspective on Star Wars, though relevant, doesn't necessarily apply as much to it as it used to. I mean, hell, when you look at like what George Lucas did with the prequels, he ended up making that way more about economics and politics than I think 
I mean, there's myth stuff in there, but it feels more tacked on. It, it's those are those are very dry films. They're very yeah. uh, very sterile. Uh, not not just in their look. You know, yeah. everybody says they look too crisp, and yeah. that could be argued. But uh, yeah. but like, but if yeah, you think about the it, ideas like about Menace, yeah about trade disagreements yeah. and how an empire begins. These are all political ideas. I feel like the Joseph Campbell version of Phantom Menace mm. would be about a small boy growing up on a planet owned mm. by a, an alien creature who is being used for his technological skill and, and know-how, fighting his way out of it and joining the Jedi. And instead, those movies take place in terms of government agents. Who find the kid. and Yeah. And again, there's stuff in there. Like, you can talk about, like, how, like, um, Joseph Campbell talks pretty eloquently about how Darth Vader in the original trilogy um, represents, like, the Sith represent people who don't, accept their place in a grander universe they look to the self mm. for significance and power and that is a very limiting worldview and that leads them to anger hatred mm. control and darth vader ends up you know becoming like a part of a machine literally yeah, I think and it he, leaves him very very withered by the end of the film i think he even name checks nietzsche uh, who taught a, a very similar philosophy the philosophy yeah. of the self yeah it is about your will to power how strong are you as a person yeah and if somebody gets in your way you cut them out of your life because they're not letting you be strong right and and within the trilogy and i don't think it's well told but it's in there you see how the jedi back when they were like a proper institution and indeed they were at least an adjunct to the political system of the galaxy how they have become a system rather than a religion in a lot of ways, and they've become sort of uh, self-perpetuating, and they believe in their own dogma to mm. the extent that Mace Windu is even tempted to the dark side, even to defeat the Sith itself. And you realize that the whole system is kind of breaking down and becoming less spiritual and more um, uh, mechanical mm. in a way. And it, it ultimately it needed to fall. And that's in there. And I think that's interesting. I just wish it had been about that rather than it being that one thing in this giant mess of other stuff that isn't very spiritual and is kind of a naive perspective mm. on politics, which, again, you don't see a lot of like really in-depth po politics in our great legends. They tend to be more simplified and universal in a lot of ways rather than mm -hmm. look, here's here's what the the Hayes Act was or like here's uh what's the what's the what's the one Trump broke this weekend the the Hatch Act the, the Hatch yeah the Hatch yeah Act. like we don't really have like the Hatch Act isn't like in a myth <laughs> that's like a that's like a thing that's its own um, it's, it's kind of nuts and bolts you know uh, detail of it, politics you know it's been said it's significant we, don't get me wrong it's yeah. been said and we we brushed up on this that Joseph Campbell came into the, all of these myths uh where myth had already kind of come to an end. Nietzsche mm -hmm. had already said God is dead. In a lot of ways, myths, while still alive in abstract ways within society, mm -hmm. was now coming up in a modern America, 20th century America, yeah. which was a secular place. And yeah. we were focusing, especially in the 1980s, when he was doing these uh, interviews mm -hmm. and when these books were being written, at a time of increased uh, surface-level appreciation, mm -hmm. when money was really uh, becoming more important, where popular culture was becoming more important, mm. where... Uh, capitalism was yeah, becoming the new god. Capitalism and vanity and greed were sort of the new concepts that were running rampant throughout America at the time. And I think Joseph Campbell, who was just a, just a good old hippie, mm. was coming in and trying to bring back a lot of the mythic things that I think he might have felt were withering and were kind of being lost and pointing out to us that a lot of these things are still alive in us. And if you look to something that mm. we've all seen, Star Wars, yeah. you'll see that a lot of these things are still alive and we need to be aware of those things that are still alive within us. And even though Joseph Campbell brought a lot of those ideas into Star Wars, I think a lot of people just took Star Wars and mm. left the Joseph Campbell stuff. It's exclusionary, stuff. which yeah, is frustrating. Exactly. And, and so I, I think yeah. we, when we, we took it and said Star Wars is important... We forgot what Joseph Campbell said as to why it was important. Well, and I think so a lot of people started to look at a lot of the surface stuff in Star Wars, yeah. imitate it, and 
just claim that it was inspired well, by Joseph, Joseph Campbell. Well, 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 two things with that. One uh, is that I think this is maybe one of the reasons why the new films piss some people off. Like, hmm. oh, Luke Skywalker would never have been tempted to the dark side. It's because you look at the hero's journey as a thing that is set in stone and over yeah. rather than an art form that is alive, which is one of the reasons why applying Joseph Campbell and canonizing Star Wars is dangerous because it's not there yet. It's not history yet. It's still going. Hmm. Um, but beyond that, when Joseph Campbell canonizes Star Wars, and it's the only reference that I recall of he mentions a few other literary things and I said Joyce and man but like mm. at the time it was the only contemporary myth in the power of myth and there, I'm sure he said many other things in other capacities but in the power of myth this thing that people saw that was very significant that hit a lot more audience members than anywhere else Star Wars is the only contemporary thing yeah. it was the only mm. thing within the last decade or two and the problem is, is that that implies that Star Wars is the only thing. Or it's at least the end of it. Like, well, we, we can't, or, can't or what, uh, do even, something new with it. Even if then, because, like, he talks about how, you know, machines are changing our lives and machines, there is no myth of machines. This is one mm. of the reasons why I think Campbell would have been really interested in something like The Matrix. Mm. Because it's using machines to create myth. It's, it's incorporating it into a fantasy structure. Yeah. So that's interesting. And that's a conversation. If we ever do the matrix episode zero, maybe we'll do that. But, um, but there are so many other fascinating mythological narratives. And I was, I was watching this and I'm thinking to myself, he's talking about comparative religion, but he was a professor of literature. That was officially like his mm. title. What he is doing is he is comparing literature. He is, using the structure of stories that have been told throughout history or contemporarily, mostly Star Wars, but he's using that in order to find meaning in his life when he himself, I mean, he used to be a Catholic, now he's not, he himself doesn't have a particular religion. He is looking to stories and cultivating a knowledge of those stories, a grand sweeping knowledge of that's those stories, and all those references in order to build not just a sense of self, but a sense of the world. And it occurred to me, that's what we do in our podcasts. <laughs> we are watching all of these movies. We're watching all of these stories. We are attempting to like reclaim a lot of these stories that were only half told or even partially told mm. and canceled too soon. We are looking at all of these things that inspired well, the myth that has been canonized in episode zero. We are trying to, whenever like we're doing a podcast and we reference some weird movie that only we know about or care about, and people go, what the hell is Brain Donor? It's like, that matters to us. That's a myth to us. Mm. That's a significant thing that we well, carry with us. That's I, something I was... that's really significant, and I find it frustrating <laughs> that Campbell only goes into history for that and isn't really concerned contemporarily. Well, because uh, he was a literary scholar, but he's not a critic, and I was going to yeah. bring this up, actually, that the, the modern art form that's perpetuating mm. what... Um, or what Joseph Campbell was saying originally, uh, it falls into two camps. One is sociology. Yes. We're looking at societies and I guess modern anthropology. Anthropology, anthropology, yeah, anthropology, and, anthropology and, and sociology and, uh, and criticism. Yeah. Literary criticism. We are looking at, especially people who do uh, an entire uh, medium, like yeah, a literary, literary critic, and, a food and, critic, a yeah, film when we critic. Yeah, when we say literary, we're using the sweeping art criticism, yeah. basically. Yeah. So an, an art critic is going to be looking at a piece of art and trying to put it into a broader context. Yeah. Not just within a broader context of trends within the year, although that's something we do. Yeah, that's significant. But the, the broader context of the history of the art form, and yeah. by extension, the history of art. Yeah. Uh, and when you're not going to make a piece of art... Uh, and have a critical idea behind it, mm -hmm. then you're just going to be repeating an old idea. Well, that's not strictly true, and but I, that's and the I risk. Said, I, I said earlier that that uh, the Disney films were just like criticism, but I I don't think that's necessarily correct. It's more of a reference. It's, really. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like a yeah. it's it's a footnote. I think to some something of the, bigger. I think elements of them in criticism. I think the attempt, for example, in the Disney films to really amplify the inclusivity mm -hmm. of Star Wars. Some more effectively than others. Like, they still only put in enough homosexuality that they could cut out for release overseas for more homophobic countries. That we need to fucking deal with. Mm. But the idea the that we're putting more Passive progressive, I've heard it called. That's right. But we're putting more women, more people of color, front and center. Mm. We're populating this universe, which has always been, with a few notable exceptions here and there, but predominantly white. Mm. and predominantly male and there is now a concerted effort and i think that's an act of criticism saying listen we understand that that is a fair criticism of star wars and we're trying to fix that 
moving forward. But to get back to your point, a lot of people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you, and I'm sure they ask any critic, mm. what's the point of criticism? Why do we need mm. this? Like, what what value do you serve? You're not a doctor. And granted, sometimes it really does feel like we're just saying, like, I like this movie. Mm. But at its best, and I think the goal of criticism, regardless of what you criticize, whether it's film, books, food, comics, video games, whatever it is, should have that loftier ambition of, of putting the grand scheme of this art form in context and analyzing what goes into it, what is significant about it, what people take away from it. Mm. When people say like, oh, you got to get politics out of your criticism. We're trying to determine what is the real world application of an art form. And if there isn't one, you sometimes have to ask yourself, what good is it? Well, why did we make that? Yeah. yeah. And, and oftentimes we realize that without even planning to, people end up throwing their belief system into their art form. We've talked about this before. Every, about how Every time somebody makes something, they put their belief system yeah, into their art e form. Either you're saying in your art that you want things to change, that you're actually making your art overtly political by saying that here's how things shouldn't be and mm -hmm. here's how they should. Or you're saying by not challenging anything in the world and the culture and the sociology and the politics and the economy, whatever it is, by saying that nothing needs to change, you're saying that you're fine with things the way they are. And that mm -hmm. is also a political statement. Indeed. So all criticism is kind of what Joseph Campbell is doing. And all that Joseph Campbell is doing really is a form of criticism. He is an art critic. He is a storytelling uh, um, expert in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. And also in some ways, he's really deficient. Like when you look at <laughs> well, the I way love, he I love that you and I are taking this interpretation from Joseph Campbell because you and I see a lot of the world sure. as, uh, as uh, reflected through media. Yeah, we are uh, of of because of our age and because of where we came into the world in relation to Star Wars specifically, mm -hmm. we have been taught that uh, popular media is kind of the way to interpret reality. And it's uh, the contemporary. And way, so yeah. uh, we are or looking. We are looking at Joseph Campbell, and we're putting it through our own filters and seeing it as a media study. That's totally true. <laughs> but I do think it's hard to deny that it is a media study. Yeah, yeah. There didn't used to be movies and TV. If there were. The ancient Greeks, I'm sure, would have made a movie about Hercules. But yeah, It'd be weird if they didn't. There are there were four-part plays back yeah. in the day. Read the Oristia sometime. Yeah, they, they, Oedipus would have totally been a soap opera. Like, it totally would have been on TV. So that's... I feel like the tech is incidental. And I feel mm. like the narratives that we tell are not. And, you know, we don't know at the time if whoever came up originally with the idea of Hercules. It was someone. Mm. Or someone saw a strong guy and was like, I got an idea. Something happened. Mm. And someone had an idea and someone came up with a story of a guy named Heracles. And we don't know what their motive was. We don't know if that took them a long time. We don't know if the original version was, uh, yeah, Hercules. He was a, a really strong guy and he was um, a great fisherman and he fell down a lot. Like... <laughs> It evolved over time, is my point. It could have been anything. It could, yeah, we don't yeah. know that. All we know is that what has been preserved. And mm. when things are contemporary, it is a different art form, that kind well, of criticism, and, as uh, we see things unfold in real time. And as we consider in real time what the greater ramifications of this art is, rather than just looking back and going, well, I guess it meant this. Hmm. Uh, Joseph Campbell, however, had the comfort of looking at his entire form, his entire study, as uh, as something for posterity. Exactly. Uh, he saw th myths as something that were very currently alive, but it's all based on something that we have perspective on. Yeah. Uh, and we have the, the the comfort of not having to deal with as it's changing in front of us. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I are much different. And in fact, you and I have expressed a lot of frustration mm. over the fact that in just the last few years, things have become even more... Uh, focused on novelty. Now, I'm sure that was true when a lot of these myths were being told. I mean, for the novelty first time. is always interesting, there, and there's a lot. There's probably scads and scads and scads of plays and myths and information mm. that were novel at the time and were really popular at the time that we'll never know about just because yeah. they're lost to history. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a lot of what we're going through right now. We're we're waiting through all the junk that's just going to evaporate. Chill factor will mm. only be remembered because I keep referencing. It. <laughs> I am convinced that this is is the movie in which Skeet Ulrich. And, and Cuba, and Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. Have who, Cuba Gooding Jr. who drives an ice cream truck. That's yes. a plot point. Uh, they have a nuclear bomb, and the bomb will explode if it raises above a certain temperature. So they have to keep it in the ice cream truck while terrorists are trying to steal the bomb from them. That movie 
only exists right now, I think, because I bring it up, because I have never heard anyone reference that movie besides me in the last 20 years. Well, well and, and, and me too. I think well, you and I have... Yeah. I've been perpetuating oh, on this podcast. It's hard to say. That's a chicken and egg situation. I suppose so. Uh, I did see Chill Factor. I bought a ticket. I saw we it in all, theaters. We all saw Chill Factor. Yeah, yeah. In this room. <laughs> well, your wife is okay. in the, your wife is in the room too, so... Two I guess of, I have to... Okay, we'll rent Chill Factor. Okay. <laughs> I got the nod of approval. We're good. <laughs> I, I think it was more of a nod of pity, but all right. <laughs> oh, but uh, my point is Joseph Campbell was trying to link up something uh, by looking back, mm-hmm. was trying to link some something very contemporary into something much larger and was mm-hmm. trying to encourage people to see the larger picture. Right. And when we're in a position where we're dealing where uh, a, a lot of art criticism and a lot of the way we look at the world as a media study and as something that is evolving from day to day the way a term i've heard to describe this phenomenon is time is speeding up Mm, uh that that things just seem to be happening at a much greater pace than they used to and a a lot of that's due to technology but a lot of that is due to the way our minds interpret stuff well Uh, we're reacting uh, to the stimulus we're getting thanks to technology it used to to be we'd get a newspaper once maybe twice a day Hmm. now we're getting a constant feed of new information from our phones every every minute every single minute so yeah and that's a lot to process and we can we can and we can react to it and it can become uh passe by the end of the day it's uh, things are going so quickly that uh remember when we found out trump was a tax cheat that was last week That was a week ago. I'm going to use a phrase. Remember mother of all bombs? That was three and a half years ago. I forgot about that. That was the thing. Oh my God. (laughs) It's it's, so frustrating. We live in a cavalcade of shit. uh, (laughs) But that actually raises an interesting point. To complete my idea here is is that, yeah, because everything is so, is so addicted to novelty and because Mm -hmm. everything's moving so quickly and because our interpretation of media is mixed up in that way of thinking, Mm -hmm. it's becoming more and more difficult for us to link specific things to a larger picture uh, that Joseph Campbell wanted to do that reaches into the vast uh, you know, detail of human history and right. human mythology. Well, one of the luxuries that mm. Campbell has, because he's mostly dealing with uh, myths from the past and usually mm. the distant past, um, is, again, they are set in stone. They're done now. Mm. And as a result, he can be pretty blasé about the messages that they give. He can just accept their messages. And yeah. it, he doesn't spend any time that I noticed in this whole miniseries criticizing the message of any myth. Mm-hmm. He accepts every myth that he discusses and espouses. And I don't know if this is true across the board, but in The Power of Myth, this is what he does. He discusses all of them as though they have great depth and profundity. And maybe on some level they do. On the other hand... There's like a whole episode that is dedicated largely to uh, women in myth and women in society. Mm. And here's a really old white man having this conversation. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's, it, there's a lot it's, of stuff in here where he's just even like... Even in the 1980s, this kind of stuff was sexist and dated. And, yeah. Well, yeah, it was always sexist and dated. Yeah. But like, uh, and he's talking about how, yes, well, you know, in society, you know, Women, you know, once they uh, 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 begin to menstruate, that's their initiation into a grander scheme of thing. They've changed and they've become an mm-hmm. adult and they are fulfilling their role of giving birth. Mm-hmm. And men have to go off on adventures and mm-hmm. find ways to, in order to, mm-hmm. to become a man and whatever. And hit, and, th- hit things with their dicks. Yeah, yeah. And, and Joseph Campbell is like sort of espousing this as if it's some kind of universal truth and i'm not saying that there isn't an observation in there somewhere but what bothers me is he's not actually drawing any conclusions from that like at no point when they were telling these myths and he does talk about how earlier on in in history there were more myths that were celebrating women as the grand gods Mm. of all things and that at some point men said no 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 but he just sort of glances past that but when he talks about like oh yes and women are fulfilling their roles as giving children and other roles as well (laughs) joe (laughs) And it's yeah, really frustrating. Even this, the, and this is something that I understand was part of the vernacular. Mm-hmm. It's distracting to watch, but this shouldn't be the reason not to watch it. Uh, is when he refers to uh, people in the masculine term. Mm-hmm. When he refers to a hero, he always defaults to saying he. Uh, and that is which well because then, a lot of the myths he's referring to came from patriarchal societies. Well, those, that's also true. Those but heroes also, did 
generally tend to be men, but and that's that's not even, what he's doing. Even in the eighties, I remember mm-hmm. being taught that when there is no unfortunately now we're moving past mm-hmm. this and using more gender neutral pronouns like they or them, but I was taught that you unless gender is specified, you always default to male, he or him. Mm. And uh, that was some sexist bullshit is what that was. And that is whether by design, probably by design or whether by ignorance, just creating a world in which it seemed that men were the focus of everything and women are treated as an afterthought. And that is something that Campbell is a trap he falls into really hard. I don't know how much of it is his own perspective or how much of it is him following this tradition and not questioning it, it but it's was, frustrating and it sucks. It, it was definitely just a sexist tradition. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it's a sexist I, I, tradition. I, I just don't know about I how much of it is his own personal ideology oh, yeah, about yeah. sex, but yeah. Well, I, I had the, have a, the exact same story in the 90s. Yeah. In, yeah. in the late 90s, I was told by one of my professors in college to use he. I was using they. Yeah. And they said, use he. It's cleaner language, they said. Yeah, I heard that shit too. Uh, it's like, but, but you know, what if, what if the, this, character type that i'm referring to in my essay is a woman they said no oh, just he is gender neutral in this case wow well, like, that's the exact opposite of what that and, means and the, the professor was a woman too so you know uh, it's just part of this yeah. uh, sexist tradition that was yeah. part of a lot of grand intellectual there's a teaching. reason we question this shit uh, the reason yeah. we should question and young is my point not young campbell is in a mm-hmm. position because he's talking about older myths to not question he has mm-hmm. the freedom they accept. Yeah. And yeah. that's really frustrating because when we're talking about things that are contemporary, including Star Wars, which, yeah, it was over when he did it, but it's not over now. We don't have to accept. We are looking at things now. We are judging them now. We are considering them and what they mean and their impact upon us now. And mm. I think that goes with older myths as well. When we look back at an old myth and we say to ourselves, wow, that's really interesting and that has a lot to say, but also this bit sucks and I choose not to let this apply to me. That's a freedom we have. And there's something that is frustrating about Campbell is the way that, unfortunately, sometimes when he is discussing the the wide intersectionality of myth and religion across the entire planet, unfortunately, sometimes he seems pretty dogmatic about his overall interpretation of it. And right. that's annoying, actually. Yeah, and it's, he, and, and he's it's weirdly close minded considering he's also saying all of these beliefs are valid. Somebody, mm. own, but the, his belief about how these things relate to one another, pretty set in stone. Yeah, that, that, that's what passed for being progressive at the time. I, I um, read through a lot of books by... Uh, uh, Hegel? Well, he- Hegel, yes. <laughs> but Will and Ariel Durant. Ah, and, I don't, I'm not familiar. Uh, Will and Ariel Durant are... Um, I'm not sure if we can call them historians. They're just uh, deeply well-read. They study history. They're inter- interested in just about every kind of world discipline. And they okay. wrote this gigantic 11-volume set about the history of civilization. Oh, okay. But, of course, it's the history of Western civilization. Of course. And as such, they're doing a lot of the study, studying a lot of the things that uh, the white males were doing at the time because of just pervasive sexism throughout history mm. is the stuff that we tended to pay attention to and write the most about. And this is something that, uh, by the way, this is this is a uh, contemporary issue. The the Trump administration is trying to make this the curriculum. They're yeah, trying yeah. to remove the perspective of people of color from American history to focus more on the great achievements of white men and not the many people they murdered and enslaved. And, They're and, trying and, to erase yeah. that and, and over, go back to this ignorant tradition. Yeah, and and for, for many, many years, you know, a lot of educators have been trying to say, no, we need a broader perspective. The the, the people that were oppressed throughout mm-hmm. all of this, what, what is the story? What's being brought here? How pure are these things we keep on talking about? And I, one of my Will most and, frustrating yeah. things is when people, I've heard history teachers say this, well, mm. the winners get to write history. Mm. Fuck the winners. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not, we, okay, we won, and now we understand things. Let's go back and fix it. Yeah. We didn't, I didn't win shit. Looking at all this I, I shit, didn't, I didn't feel like a winner. History sucks. So you're saying, I can't write it? Fine, I'm going to write history. Yeah, let's write it now. Let's change it now. Let's fix it now. Because it's bullshit. Yeah, so, um, I, but yeah, I noticed when I first started reading Will and Ariel Durant, uh, when I first like encountered them back in the 90s, that felt really natural. Just yeah. that white man's perspective. That's and this was. was, and it was folded in with a lot of cynicism because that was sort of the, a lot of the, the operational ethos of the nineties. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. everything sucked. We'll just but what say, you going to do. Yeah, we, we can't do anything about it. We'll just say it sucks and do nothing. Yeah. And uh, so we read these things. Okay. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. But let's get some facts in here as well, mm. along with the suckiness. <laughs> then at least we'll be getting something. And uh, I went back and reread 
uh, Joseph Campbell about 20 years, or not Joseph Campbell, uh, William Ariel Durant uh, about 20 years thereafter and realized, wait a minute, this is exactly what we need to kind of reinterpret. This is a very valuable piece of literature, but we also understand that it's a very limited perspective, even though it's this gigantic 11 volume set. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the case of the intelligentsia from the beginning of time to now, isn't it? (laughs) That uh, the ideas we're trying to explore grander ideas and come up with these gigantic uh, notions of all of history and all of humanity. Yeah. But we're stuck in our own limited perspective. And I think that's something that Joseph Campbell has fallen into. Yeah. And that's something Star Wars has fallen it's, into. It's actually, it's kind of nicely stated at the mm. beginning of a movie that I know a lot of people like less than I did, mm. but the remake of Black Christmas, it, one of the opening scenes is Carrie Elwes plays a professor at a very okay. uh, 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 misogynistic uh, place of higher learning. Mm. Um, so oh, the, the remake of the remake. remake of yeah, the Christmas. remake. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. The, the most recent Black Christmas. Uh. Uh, it opens, there's one of the early scenes is, uh, Carrie Ellis is a literary professor and his required reading list is all works by white dudes mm. and his students, or at least the mm. students who aren't white men are complaining about this. And they're saying that like, it's exclusionary to a lot of people in history. And his argument is, yes, well, these, bec- regardless of whether or not sexism or racism or homophobia existed, these are the works that were significant to history, were they not? Mm. And the argument that is being ignored there is it doesn't have to be that fucking way. Mm. We are making an active decision right now. It's not about the past. We don't get to just write it off. Oh, well, the past happened. No, we're deciding now what we're canonizing. We're deciding Mm. now what is significant. We're deciding now what perspectives Mm. should be considered. And the answer to that is a lot of them, all of them, really. Not just the ones who have been not only been put on a pedestal, but have been like beating people down with sticks to try to prevent them from also getting up on that pedestal. That's really frustrating. Um, before we move on to like and, and wrap up the episode, because mm-hmm. obviously we could talk about Campbell for forever. I want to talk about just one more way in which Campbell relates or doesn't relate to Star Wars. And I'm curious about your perspective on this, yeah. because we know that George Lucas very specifically modeled the original Star Wars trilogy in particular on the work of Joseph Campbell. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that he had an impact on the prequels, even though I think it's a little less visible. Do you feel that Joseph Campbell's ideas or that Joseph Campbell's thoughts on the heroic, uh, the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. do you feel that they're being followed by the new Disney films, regardless of whether or not they're commenting on or changing Mm -hmm. the original narrative? Do you feel like, for example, the episodes seven, eight, and nine, Mm -hmm follow what Campbell is doing or do you feel as though they are attempting at least in the middle Mm. to reject um I do not think they're doing that I think uh The Force Awakens is but I don't think they're looking to Joseph Campbell they're clearly just looking to Star Wars it's a copy of a copy right uh I feel like the idea of uh, the hero's journey is that it is a hero's journey. It is about how they mm-hmm. go out into the world, accomplish something, and return home. Mm-hmm. It's about that one character. Uh, because there are now so many characters, it's difficult to say who that would be in any given Star Wars movie. Mm. Uh, and it's not, not like there's one hero and all the things happen to them. There's all these mm. characters and a lot of things happen to them. Something I like about The Last Jedi is that it... And we talked about this on a commentary track we did recently for The yeah. Last Jedi. On the Patreon is, page, yeah. uh, it's trying to look at something like Star Wars, which mythologized the hero's journey. It's about going out and achieving. Mm-hmm. And it drops us into, like, right at the start of the story, the cause is lost. Mm. There isn't a victory to be had. It's trying yeah. to subvert the hero's journey. Mm. And then, of course, we get to the third one, and it becomes uh, this way to subvert a subversion i feel like we're we're just sort of echoing down through the line and i feel like uh i feel like like, okay let's look at at, um uh rise of the skywalker the rise of skywalker (laughs) i always want to call it the rise of skywalker yeah the rise of skywalker uh it is about an ancient evil returning that's a sort of a mythic thing right and it is about a character who has to go through a journey to Mm. defeat that evil and has to defeat the darkness within herself Mm. and there's Mm. elements there so uh, there's elements there but again, uh, I'm not sure how much the makers of that film are concerned with tapping into ancient human myths. Yeah. 
And how much of that is accident if they are doing it at all? See, this is the thing that I think is interesting when people talk about how, you know, a lot of people criticize mm. the Disney movies for not having a specific plan in place. And I actually think that's a fair criticism. I think that's that's definitely something that has led to those films feeling disjointed. Mm. I think Last Jedi follows Force Awakens really well, but I think only if you're willing to accept that the story takes a different mm. turn. And then I think Rise of Skywalker doesn't follow Last Jedi at all. It just takes place afterwards. Mm. Because what happens is The Force Awakens hits the reset button, basically, on the hero's journey. And that is a certain... There is an element mm. of frustration there because, okay, yeah, the hero's journey didn't amount to a lot. It just ended up going back. Mm. Campbell also talks about how these things are cyclical. Destruction and creation are... are it kind of occur at the exact same moment. Mm. The beginning of a story... Uh, beginning of a story is the end of another story, always. Mm. Um... But in getting through Force Awakens, which does have very Campbellian elements, but I do agree is mostly filtered through what Star Wars previously did. Mm. Um, I feel like The Last Jedi is more of a contemporary... It's like, instead of looking at how Joseph Campbell looks at narrative, I feel like The Last Jedi is more from the perspective of more modern mm. comparative literature uh, yeah. uh, experts or critics, if you will. And considering I think that's, that's the what I was getting at. I, I, I said that their yeah. interpretation, yeah. but like and like and as a result, the Last Jedi feels less like it's just trying to go back to a grand tradition, and more about trying to make this grand tradition relevant to today, which is what myths were initially. Mm -hmm. They weren't only relevant in the past; they were contemporarily relevant. And the Last Jedi is trying to uh, solidify Star Wars within a useful contemporary allegorical framework, and then. Rise of Skywalker comes out and says, oh, no, 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 no. We're just going to do the old thing. You're going to repeat and, that same hero's journey. That and as a result, it, and for me, I feel like the real problem, and you can argue that The Last Jedi is a, is a sideswipe, is a different kind of thing. But I think the real problem isn't that The Last Jedi followed The Force Awakens and took it in a new direction. I think the problem is that Rise of Skywalker didn't follow The Last Jedi and instead decided to negate everything it said, which makes The Take Last Jedi feel like... the old direction. Makes The Last yeah. Jedi feel like someone in the middle of the class mm. making a salient point mm. and then the mm. professor saying, yeah, but we're going to learn the old shit. Yeah. And we're going to follow like the history that I know, even if it is problematic. And that's annoying. Mm. It's legit annoying. I think it's a fair criticism, but I don't think of it in the same way other people do. Um, anyway, The Power of Myth, it's currently available. It's a mini series. You can watch it on Amazon. I think it's about $11 if you want to buy it. It's like six hours, mm. long conversations, a lot of interesting insights, a lot of stuff I don't agree with, but maybe worth uh, considering challenging. There's also a book, uh, which is mostly a transcription, but I believe there's some other stuff in there as well because they recorded a lot of stuff they didn't use. Um, and you're more than welcome to check all that out. I kind of encourage you to do so. We would love to hear from you on these topics because this is a big can of worms. You can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. You're also welcome to tweet us. Uh, we are at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, as always, we want to give a special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom this show and none of the other shows that we do would be possible, whether they're Patreon exclusive or free. Uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network and there you can get a ton of exclusive content. You can vote for future episodes of our podcasts. We have podcasts about the 1960s Batman. We have podcasts about Star Trek. We have podcasts about Oscars. We have podcasts about Disney movies. We have commentary tracks, which you mentioned today. We have a ton of stuff over there. And if you sign up now at almost any tier, you're bound to get hours and hours and hours of exclusive stuff like right off the bat, just in the backlog. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you to everybody who does that. Next time on episode zero, we are <laughs> wrapping up our conversation about Star Wars. We could keep going, but we feel as though we'd start getting a little repetitive after a while and we, we cover already movies did, that yeah, did similar we, things and had similar influences. We've already covered a couple Westerns, a couple different sci-fi serials. Several samurai films. Yeah. Um, it's It's... And again, that's not a problem, but we want to take the concept and expand it. But before we do, we want to do an episode about a more contemporary film, a more recent film. I think it's the most recent film we've ever done on this show. Well, John Carter was technically the most recent You're right. Film, I apologize, but we used but it, it but as it was, a window to yeah, the book. To so something that was older. Technically, yeah. yes, you're right. I apologize. But uh, okay, so the second most recent. Uh, but it is a film that I think started off with with a commentary on Star Wars sort of nestled into it and ended up 
actually, I think, if not influencing, at the very least codifying... Complete, almost redefining completely. <laughs> the way that people view, interact with, embrace, and... Talk about. Talk about, and specifically yeah. talk about Star Wars. To this day, it might seem a little bit like Deja Vu, because we just did an episode about something very similar. We're going to be talking about Kevin Smith's Clerks. Trust us, it makes sense. It's, it, it, <laughs> and really really does yeah we're gonna <laughs> it's, talk it's really about, significant to star wars we we think this is the case we think that there's a few tangible connections but also some intangible connections that are really important mm. and we think they're worth discussing and we don't think a conversation about the modern star wars films is fully complete without reckoning with what kevin smith did in clerks and the other films as well but we'll focus on clerks because he did mm. he continued this conversation in many of his view askew movies um so uh, thank you everybody for listening. We will be back next week. This one's next week, damn it. It's going to happen. <laughs> we have to wait a month for this one. Do we announce what the next episode zero is now or do we wait for next episode? Wait for, ne- for next episode. Okay, no, next te- episode. Tease, him, tease it out. Next episode, we will be also be announcing the next big pop culture linchpin film that we are going to be dedicating a lot of podcasts to the prehistory of. Mm. Uh, it is a film that is, I'll say this much, Incredibly influential, culturally significant, made a shit ton of money, and it's probably not the one you're thinking of. So thank you, everybody, again for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week. And remember, may the force be with Joseph Campbell.